0: We now have Kyle Gleason, one of our confirmation students, here to read scripture for us each week in January. As you know, we've been going to see a movie and then talking about it on Sunday. And this week, we're going to see what Spies in Disguise has to tell us about our faith. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 to 11. Like good stewards of the manifold grace of God, serve one another. With whatever gift each of you has received. Whoever speaks must do so as one speaking the very words of God. Whoever serves must do so with the strength that God supplies, so that God may be glorified in all things through Jesus Christ. To him belongs the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. The Word of God for the people of God. God. Please join me in an attitude of prayer. Holy God, we thank you for a place where we can come together and rest for a moment, where we can connect with others about our faith, and where we can hear and listen to a word from you. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever been called weird? Anybody ever been called weird? Okay, I see a good number of hands out there. Now sometimes people say you're weird and they mean it in an affectionate way. They kind of look at you and they say, oh, you're so weird and it's clear that it's a compliment. But there's also times when people say you're weird and they mean it in a negative way. And it doesn't matter what the word is. They could be saying weird or something else. The intent is clear. You're different. And somehow that's a bad thing. We're going to talk about that this morning. How many of you got to see Spies in Disguise? A few of you. A few more than, uh, than First Service. I saw it twice. And I laughed out loud both times. This is a really funny movie. So if you haven't seen it, Uh, Add it to your Netflix queue or whatever platform you watch movies on. It's not out yet because it's in the theaters, but eventually, when you have an evening free, it's a good movie to put on. So if you didn't see the movie, it's an animated film about a young scientist named Walter, and Walter is incredibly smart. The other main character is an international super spy named Lance, and he's incredibly competent. He's really good at what he does. Now, Walter is what some people might call weird. He is a little bit different than everybody else. He has ideas that are different from everybody else. His job is to make technology to help spies do their work. And so everybody else in his lab is making fireproof clothing and weapons and survival gear. Um, Walter is making things like an inflatable hug that comforts you as it protects you. Or a glitter bomb that does no harm to anyone, it just makes people happy and that distracts them and then you can go on with what you need to do. So Walter is weird. He's unusual, he's different, he's unique, he's not like everybody that he works with. But it's not just because of what he does, these things that he creates, it's also because of who he is and how he sees things. Walter works for this spy agency where the philosophy is, you got to stop the bad guys. And Walter goes around and he tells people, well, you know, there really are no bad guys, because there really are no good guys, we're all just people. He believes also there's a better way to stop bad things from happening than what the agency is currently doing. He believes you can fight bad things without causing more pain and suffering, because he knows that pain just escalates. If people are seeking revenge, you get one hit after the next, after the next, after the next. It doesn't solve anything, and that's what Walter tries to tell people. And so it's these beliefs and this philosophy that lead him to create all this kind of strange technology, because he's looking for a new way to stop bad things. Now, one of the things that Walter creates in his lab is technology to turn a human spy into a pigeon which is why we've got some pigeons hidden around the sanctuary. We've got a pigeon right here, if you haven't found him yet. And through some unexpected events, this technology of birding someone happens to transform Lance, the international super spy, into a bird. And as you might imagine, there are a lot of pigeon jokes, it's just hilarious. But most of the movie is spent trying to get Lance back into humanoid form because he doesn't want to be a pigeon. And also trying to stop a spy who's seeking revenge. Those are kind of the two elements to the movie. Now, at the beginning of the movie, Lance, the spy, thinks that he can do everything by himself. He thinks, I do not need anybody else. I am really good at what I do. I don't need to be part of a team. Even once he turns into a pigeon, he refuses to accept help because he thinks he can still do everything by himself. He also makes it clear that he thinks Walter, the scientist, is weird in a bad way and that his inventions have no purpose. He's really kind of mean to Walter at the beginning. But by the end of the movie, Lance says to Walter, you know what, I couldn't have done it without you. And by the end, Lance and Walter have claimed each other and they affectionately say, we're team weird. We're team weird together. At one point, Walter says, we have different skill sets. And that is what makes us such a great team. Well, Walter's exactly right. We all know this to be true as well. Different skills make for a good team. Scripture talks about this a lot, actually, and uses the language spiritual gifts. We all have different things that we're good at. Our passage from 1 Peter this morning mentions spiritual gifts as well. It says, Like good stewards of the manifold grace of God, serve one another with whatever gift each of you has received. So I want to tell you a little bit of background about 1 Peter. It's a letter, and it was written to Christian churches who are in Asia. And Christians in these places were having a hard time of it because you know what? They were weird. Christians in Asia were weird because they weren't part of the dominant culture. In many cases, they didn't have citizenship that brought with it extra rights and privileges. In many cases, they faced economic difficulty. They were poor, they were struggling, they were persecuted for their faith. The very beginning of 1 Peter makes it clear, this is a letter intended for the strangers of the world, the people who are different. Team weird. If you've ever felt different, if you've ever felt alone, if you've ever felt like nobody else knows what you're going through, generations of Christians have felt the same way, too. You're not alone. We all want to feel like there's a place for us, like we belong, like we're understood. But it's also easy to end up feeling alienated, like we're weird in a bad way. And if we're not intentional, it's easy to cause that feeling in other people around us. Each one of us has something unique and different and wonderfully weird to offer to make the world a better place for the sake of Jesus Christ. Early Christians were people who didn't quite have a place in larger society because they rejected social and cultural norms. They didn't do things like everybody else did. But it wasn't just the world outside the church that caused people to struggle, even in their own congregations. The early church was divided on how to get along. There was a lot of conflict between them of who was right, who was wrong, who was weird. I mean, that's why we have half of the New Testament that we have in our scripture, because early Christian churches were struggling to get along with one another. So many of the books that we have in our Bible are letters written to churches by people like Paul to cast a vision for how to live with one another, how to value one another's differences, how to be the church, And love people. Their struggle is our benefit. Because we now get to read these words of wisdom. Generations after the fact. In Ephesians we read. The gifts God gave. Were that some would be apostles. Some prophets. Some evangelists. Some pastors. Some teachers. In Romans we read. We have been given gifts. According to the grace given to us. Prophecy. Ministry teaching, generosity, cheerfulness. 1 Corinthians is perhaps the most well-known passage in the Bible about spiritual gifts. And in that passage, Paul explicitly says, not everybody is able to do everything. There are some things that each one of us just isn't good at. And that's okay, because each one of us has something that we are good at, and we need to work together. These things that set us apart, our so-called weirdness, may just be our gift from God. I went to a workshop this past week about the Enneagram. Have any of you ever heard of the Enneagram? I see a couple hands. This is about how it was at first service. So Enneagram, E-N-N-E-A-G-R-A-A-M, starts with an E. It's a type of personality test. It's been around for a lot of years, but it's gaining some popularity recently. Like most personality tests, you take a quiz and you answer these different questions. How would you respond in a certain situation? Or what do you value? And then you're given a number, one through nine. And the number represents your priorities in how you perceive the world. So just to give you an idea, this is a very loose paraphrased idea. If you're given the number one, then you are in the category called the reformer. So ones tend to be idealistic and principled. They tend towards perfectionism because they want things to be just so and they have very high standards. If you're given a two, that means you're a helper, which means your main priority is caring for other people. If you're a three, you're an achiever. You're success oriented and you're practical. Fours are individualists. They value art, they're very in tune with their emotions. I could go down the list, but if you're really interested, you can look at it after the sermon and find out what your number is. But the idea is, most of us have a particular way that we approach the world. That makes sense to most of us, I think. The number helps us self-identify and then talk about what our tendencies might be. We have words to describe our personality. So what you may not know is that Christians have studied the Enneagram for many years. In fact, there's a woman named Helen Palmer, who's a scholar, who says, you know, this thing could go back as far as a Christian mystic who lived in the fourth century. I don't know if that's true or not, but it's interesting to talk about, and it's an intriguing tool for us to use as as we further our spiritual journey. So in the modern era, countless Christians have studied the Enneagram, and they've talked about the benefits and the weaknesses of each number, of each way of approaching the world. And the argument from a Christian perspective is that the figure of Jesus exemplifies the best of every single number. So Jesus is bold, and Jesus is peaceful, and Jesus is curious, and Jesus is confrontational, and Jesus is a bridge builder, and he eats with rich people, and he eats with poor people. You can see how this thing would go. He's perfectly balanced and rolled up all the numbers in one, fully human, fully divine. So we have just one way of approaching the world, but a figure like Jesus can see all of the ways and choose what is best in any given scenario. We know that we don't always get it right as Christians. We have our default setting. We go into a room and we interact in a certain way unless we're being really intentional about it. And we may allow our biases to hold us back. We may allow our assumptions or our comfort zone to kind of channel how we, how we act, how we make decisions. Because it's easy to default to what we know or what we've always done or kind of who, who we naturally are. But one of the greatest gifts, and also weirdnesses, of being a Christian is that we have the gift of imagining how we might do things differently. In the words of 1 Peter, we want to serve and speak, not as we would, but as Jesus would. And remember, he's all the numbers, all the best of all these numbers, or all the personalities, or if you want to simplify and throw out the Enneagram, he's the best of every single person in this room. What an awesome person. So. It would be hubris to say that when we walk into a room, we bring the view of Christ. We're all moving on to perfection, but we're mostly not there yet. However, any room that we're a part of, we can imagine Christ and what Jesus might be thinking or doing. So if we're in a meeting, we might imagine what Jesus would say or think or do. If we're with family or at school or walking down a street, we can imagine, would Jesus be the person in the room who's doing the talking? Would Jesus be the one doing the listening? Would Jesus be the one off in the corner talking to somebody who's struggling? I mean, I don't, I don't know. It depends on what the room is. It depends what's going on. But we can imagine, based on what we know of Jesus from studying Scripture and praying, because our own personalities can limit us sometimes. But at our best, we're people who imagine a different way and then use the gifts that we've been given to make that imagining into a reality so that the world is changed for good, for the sake of Jesus. We're really all at our best when we share our spiritual gifts, and our community is at its best when we all share what we've been given. So I I wanna give you a few examples of this. Jerry Lum, I haven't seen him here this morning. I think he might be out of town. He has an awesome team of volunteers, but if you know Jerry, you know that he feeds people. At Table Talks this fall, he made food for every single weekly session that we had. He's often out there at coffee hour with his hat on and his gloves, ready to put the cookies out. He makes delicious multi-course meals for people. He makes caramel corn. He makes candy. He, I mean, cooking is Jerry's spiritual gift or one of his spiritual gifts. And we all benefit if you've eaten any of Jerry's food because he's shared the gift that he has. Another example, Karen Lyons. I haven't seen her yet this morning either, but often she's out at Front Porch Coffee because she volunteers, again, with many other awesome people who also give their time and their energy. She's here almost every Thursday morning in the church. For those who are here attending Bible study or pickleball or anything else that's going on. And she talks with people. And she makes lattes and she makes all kinds of other delicious coffee drinks. But she just exudes positivity. If you've ever talked to Karen behind Front Porch Coffee, actually all of our baristas do, they're they're wonderful people. But it's clear for Karen, that's, that's a spiritual gift of hers, making coffee and talking with people. And she's using that gift and it's awesome. And then behind the scenes, you have people like Lou Dupree, who was at first service. Most of you probably don't know this, But Lou is the volunteer treasurer for our mission committee here at the church, which is a team responsible for distributing well over $50,000 on an average year to nonprofits and organizations that help people through things like feeding ministries, clean water initiatives, disaster relief, missionaries around the globe. I got to tell you, spreadsheets are a spiritual gift of Lou Dupree. (laughs) He keeps things extremely organized so that we can get money to people who need it. Spreadsheets are not my spiritual gift, and so I'm so thankful for somebody like Lou who shares that gift with the church so that we're able to do the work that we need to do. Another one behind the scenes, Eileen Corgi and others gather with knitters every week in the parlor, and they make things with their knitting needles, their crochet hooks. I can't begin to fathom how it all happens, but they take a ball of yarn or whatever they're working with, and they turn it into a sweater or a hat or a scarf or a blanket. And in many cases, they donate these items to people in need. Knitting is a spiritual gift. Now, you may be thinking to yourself, you were talking about weirdness, and now you're talking about knitting and coffee and spreadsheets. What are you trying to say here? Well. These things are really not all that weird, are they? They're pretty commonplace. But it is a bit unusual to claim these things as our spiritual gifts, gifts given to us by God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to use to change the world. Have you thought about knitting in that way? Have you thought about coffee-making in that way? Scripture lists things like speaking in tongues and preaching and healing, and we might read those passages and think, Well, I'm not that kind of weird. I don't have those gifts, so, you know, where does that leave me? Well, the list that Paul gives in the Bible, the list we find in Scripture, that's the beginning. That's not the end. It's not an exhaustive list. There are so many gifts that each one of us might have to use for the sake of building the kingdom. Can you imagine if somebody like Karen or the other wonderful Front Porch volunteers said, I don't know if serving coffee is really that important. Can you imagine a church without coffee? I mean, come on. I would be struggling, I have to tell you. Can you imagine if somebody like Lou and all the other folks who are good at math said, I don't know, maybe it's just not that important to do numbers for the church. We would be in a mess. Each of these things, knitting, cooking, doing math, their ministry. They're a way of changing the world around us in a positive way. And you may be good at something completely different that I haven't talked about, and that's great. We need each (laughs) gift that's given, because we all have something that puts us on team weird. That's the truth. Somebody after first service said, you know, everybody's weird. I think I'm a little bit more weird than most. Well, you know what? That's great, too. We're all different. We all have something God has given us that helps us see the world differently, helps us imagine things differently, helps us do things differently. So this morning, I want to invite you to join me in claiming your weirdness. It's okay to be a little bit weird because God has given us that weirdness for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I say to you this morning, Team Weird! Amen.